Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Adam Gray. This was a Zoom call with Adam calling in. I haven't talked to him since he joined PWCC in their marketing. Sounds like a dream job for him. He seems very happy, and I'm happy for him. Not everybody has that same perspective going the non-hobby world to the hobby world, but Adam gets to stay home (laughs) and be a great husband and father, and I think that's important to him as it should be to all of us who have that. So we talked about the iconic 100 that he developed, kind of his brainchild. Uh, We just went back and forth on that. I was not a voter in that, but I was asked, and I think I'm better at critiquing Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentications. And all these kind of lists like this that are opinions, even when they're the accumulated opinions of a whole bunch of people, they're still just opinions, and they're provocative, and it's an opportunity to discuss. And then, as I was encouraging Adam, do it again in a year or two. So thanks, Adam. Here is the conversation. I like to rank things, but I really like to comment on the rankings of others, <laughs> even more than me doing the ranking. I looked at it, Adam, as this is a really cool thing. I'm glad it's being done. I'm not typical survey respondent. I'm not really buying and selling those things at this point. Interestingly, I have a bunch of the top 100, but mainly the older ones. I was looking for a big, long list, and all I could really ever find was the pictorial thing, which was beautiful and pretty overwhelming. Then I thought, I'm going to click on this one for number one, and then I'm going to jump over here. And I thought, I'm so glad we're doing this because I think this will be fun to go over it. I don't want to be critical of something I think is a very worthy effort and came out with interesting results. But I'm a what-if guy, so I'm thinking you had a couple hundred cards. That's not hugely limiting, but somebody had to decide that. And then the commingling all the different sports and even non-sports, have an iconic 50 for each sport or something like that. In my card wall, I self-impose two Mm -hmm. things. One, strictly, and that is it's one per person. In other words, if you pick the Hannes Wagner Tito 6, you can't pick another Hannes Wagner. And clearly that would be the best Hannes Wagner. Problematic with Michael Jordan, are you going to pick his Fleer card or his star card? I think the Fleer card is probably the one to pick, but that would split votes as well. The other thing I try to do that I don't adhere to, but I'd like to, and that is have a small number of cards per set. I don't think I can get up only one 52 tops baseball card. So I don't want to have 10 of them. We had three. We had three 52. And interestingly, there was no set that got more than three. I bet you can't guess the other two sets that each had three cards that made the list. T206 would be worthy. I don't know that it made it. Two. It only got two. Gowdy with the Ruth and Gehrig and Lajway. So the nap came in 105. And so it just barely... Well, that's missed. too low. Or I know. Low. That's what everybody said. But there's a lot of cards that everybody said. Were too low. The other two sets are the 1948 Leaf set had three and the 1961 Clear Basketball set had three. Yeah, but there's a way I'd put Ted Williams' 48 Leaf in there. I don't know why people did. It's an easier card within that set. It's not one of the first cards you think of in that set. Like a page, I think of Robinson, Jackie. I think of Larry Doby and Hal Newhauser before I get to Ted Williams. But I think iconic means different things to different people. To some people, some people it means which is best. To some people it means which do I want the most. To some people it means something else. Like the 1989 hoops, David Robinson made the list. You can go buy that card for $2 right now. I'm okay with that. That was a landmark card in the resurgence of basketball as a 
legitimate. We weren't thinking of it as being a rival to baseball in those days, but it helped put basketball cards on the map and modern brand new basketball cards even. There was a chase involved with that. They printed a lot of them. So, One of the things that I also came across that I thought was really interesting is there were times where cards competed with each other, where, as you said, people wanted to choose one player. Our friend Jeremy Lee pointed out, he's like, we just said where the Gordie Howe ended up. Gordie Howe ended up way lower than we felt like it should. But the irony there is that both in terms of historical hockey collectors and in the hobby today, there's this cut between which Howe card is the more iconic one. There's the Parkhurst and then there's a later card at 55 tops. And those two cards are both beloved. We put both of them on the survey. There were 215 cards total and both of the Howes were there. If you took the votes that the later Topps card did and you added it to the Parkers, I mean, if you just left the Topps card off and assumed yeah. that all those votes went to the Parkers, the Gordie Howe would have ended up 25 spots higher on the list. But when we're putting together the survey, we're not thinking, oh, this one card's presence is going to harm this other card. But I think that's what happened. Okay, but one of the reasons we did single sport magazines back in the day, which the conventional wisdom was like tough stuff that you'd lump all the sports together and put them all together because you're already had the captive audience, a lot of people already getting the baseball magazine. And I was the one that stood alone and said, no, we're going to have a whole nother magazine for football and then basketball and then hockey. And that was a turning point in our company. But I think the application of that for this survey, for this iconic 100, is that football card collectors are different from baseball card collectors. There's perhaps not as much overlap as we think. 50 years ago, everybody collected everything, but mainly baseball. 40 years ago, 30 years ago, as you work to the present, the modern day collector probably is in many cases opportunistic that they want to get the icons, the grails of more than one sport. But I would think of the experts that you surveyed, if you had 150 of them, I'm wondering how many of them were like Jeremy Lee that are really into hockey. If hockey is your fourth sport, then the hockey guys are not going to do very well in the survey. And two, two Gordie Howe cards is too many for some of those people, in spite of the fact that he was an absolute beast, just a legend over more an extra decade beyond what any normal person would play and play with excellence. So, yeah, so I really thought it would be better to take out the nonsense just to have an iconic 50 for each sport or maybe an iconic 100 for baseball. Football and basketball at each handle 50 or 100. Hockey, maybe it's 50 non-sport or boxing, maybe some of those could be less, but is that expedient or you just wanted to create the brand of Iconic 100 and track it? Not only is it expedient, but I think it's an extremely worthwhile idea, something that we've talked about internally, something that we'll probably do. But the point of this was to do two things. It was to educate and it was to entertain. The great part about having a list that incorporates everybody is it makes it hopefully so that people of different... A lot of people are going to tune in. And yeah, you, had, you had the suspense of the first countdown, which I like that. I yeah. think that got a lot of energy going. But what happened? Was there ever any publishing of the above 100? Or was that just anecdotal? We haven't. We probably could do that. I let people know as other cards. teased a few that came close, right? Yeah, you just mentioned the nap that finished. Yeah. I said 105 to 110, somewhere just outside the 100. We really let a lot of people down right at the beginning with the Bronco Nagurski because the fact that you've got one of the most important football cards of all time and it just missed the list, football card purists were so upset. The way we set it up obviously has been from beginning to end, and I understand it. 
because there's so much like assumption that you have to make in this. Does everybody understand every sport? No. Does everybody understand the non-sport? No. Do we have representation from all? No. I'm mostly a basketball guy. Did we ask mostly basketball people? We didn't, but people, of course, believe that we did because basketball was so represented. Right. There were so many basketball cards. But I think that's legit. I didn't find anything nefarious in that. I think basketball has been an amazing success story of the last, whatever, 20 years of coming on so strong. And you've been in the thick of it. There's a lot of the iconic cards are when you think of PMGs, you think of basketball, even though there are other sports, you just think of basketball. Some of the things that I thought were so interesting, though, we had some people who were from the old guard who would send me their lists and say, this is what it should look like. And there were some vintage baseball cards, for example, that were higher on the iconic 100 than they were on their list, specifically guys like Jackie Robinson, right? The 48 Leaf finished 10th overall. And people haven't talked about that a lot, but that's a really high number, I think, for that card. But I think it speaks to how important Jackie Robinson is in our culture and how important that card is to our hobby. But Jim, I think if we were to have done this list 20 years ago, I don't think it would have been anywhere near the top 10. No, because on the supply side, it's one of the easier 48 leaves or 49 leaf, whatever you want to call it. The page was way more revered 20 years ago. Not even close. I would also argue that Jackie's place in our culture is more significant today. The number of documentaries, the number of things that have come out, that is what influences how people think about what is iconic and what is meaningful. It's what is happening in our culture beyond the hobby. But at the same time, I looked at the Griffey Jr., which finished, I think it was eighth or ninth. And to me, that was just way too low because I was there in 89. I remember what that was like and what that card meant. And even though it's not worth a lot of money, to me, that's a top five most iconic card of all time. I can't say I would have been able to determine the results by knowing who you surveyed. But that's the dilemma I had in the price guides back in the early days is that if you survey only East Coast dealers, you're going to get a consistent representation of higher prices if you're doing Midwesterners. And I used to teach sampling and survey methods. You have to have a representative sample. Representative what? If it's representative of the whole hobby, then you need collectors and dealers, people that are involved in the hobby at different levels, different parts of the world or the country. That's why in our company, we really tried to cover every weekend when I was traveling or the guys were traveling, we had somebody on the East Coast somebody on the West Coast, and somebody on the Midwest every weekend. And when there was a major Canadian show, we were there too. Toronto was more like the Midwest, but we made all those Toronto shows of the expos. We tried to avoid people who, and I don't know how this applies to your example there, but we tried to avoid people who were real, just specialists in a specific area that didn't have other knowledge of other things. It was hard to do this though, specifically around non-sports. There's a lot of guys that just know this world of non-sports so well that does not transfer to sports and vice versa. And so I have to acknowledge that there were a lot of non-sport people that we brought in that didn't have to that group of 150 people who were pulled, who, who didn't know all about the sports. And that's where a few of the people didn't even vote for the Wagner. And there were people who were so up in arms about how could you have people who voted for this but didn't know the Wagner? We have to just present the facts. And this is how people voted. If you were Baseball Writers Association of America, you know, they vote for the Hall of Fame guys. If you outed your voters, we'd find out who didn't vote for Derek Jeter. We'd see the ballots of all the writers. If people saw the ballots of all these people, you'd say, this is an outrage. But what you've successfully done is created something that was interesting. If you were wanting to be provocative and have people talking about it and get a buzz, I think that's very successful. Now, there's other Mike Payne had his top 300 and 
Joe Orlando or somebody had 200 and there's other things out there, but it's very much toward more expensive cards. The David Robinson rookie card, notwithstanding, most of the cards are four figures and up. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the whole hobby. But those are the cards that have greater visibility, that you hear more about, that are more likely to be grails and are what people are talking about. But yeah, I probably would have segmented by sport. Again, that's what I did in my, I came to that crossroads and I chose that way to approach it. And for you to lump it together, that really makes for an additional discussion point. So it makes it more, not controversial, more point counterpoint to try to figure out, okay, now why is this going on there? Whereas if you try to pick the best 50 athletes in America, the best 100 athletes in America now or forever, it's hard enough to do it by sport. If you go back about a year in Basketball Card Fanatic, we did a poll of a bunch of basketball card experts, right. just basketball card guys. You remember this? Yes. And we asked the question, which are the most iconic basketball cards ever made? So just basketball card collectors, just basketball cards. And the Julius Irving 72 tops ended up around 20 overall. And I felt, okay, that's cool. I didn't really think too much about it. But what was really interesting is when we pulled everyone in this survey that was across all sports, the Irving actually finished 33rd. And out of all basketball cards, like 9th or 10th. Very interesting to me that people who know basketball only had it at 20-something. But people over the whole of the community had it so much higher like in terms of the world of basketball cards. So who's the population? Who should the population be? Should it just be the people who know it better than anything? Or should it also be some group of people who know of it tangentially, or they might see it from time to time? Who's the right group? It's the same thing America's going through with the primaries versus general elections versus midterms. Different people vote and they look for different things. There are people that would make fabulous senators or congresspeople who cannot get through a primary. The voting patterns are different based on who votes. And so your first decision was, who do we want to survey? And Ray Fonio, Ray from Philly, that does the Baseball Card Hall of Fame with Mike Steveline and Victor Roman Sr. Uh, I've had them on and we've discussed that. And they're adding a class every year, but that's baseball. They're taking on all comers, but they only give them a choice of like 30 to pick the pick 10 they want to vote for. I don't think people have panned what they've done. I've disagreed with them, but I disagree with them in an amiable way because you get what you get. The man in the 